Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Progressive Field in Cleveland. It's the Guardians 5, the Angels 4. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field. The thing I enjoy, watching baseball being played. And a nice win for your Cleveland Guardians on a night when both the White Sox and Minnesota Twins aren't playing. So it's either going to be you pick up a free half game on those guys or they pick up a free half game on you. I mean, talk about the fact that you're not playing the American League Central, and yet you're kind of playing the American League Central by going out there on a day when neither of them are playing with this chance to have a free half game on them. And you do it. You pick it up. You get the win. It's big stuff. Not only that, you survived Trout and Otani. Uh, So yeah, it's a good win for the Guardians on a night when they have another rookie pitcher going. It's Connor Pilkington back on the mound for the guards. Uh, They're in a situation here where they've got two rookies going back to back. Tonight's game is going to be Cody Morris again going against Suarez for the Angels. And you kind of did this to yourself. There was an off day in between Kansas City and Minnesota. And for whatever reason, they kind of shuffled the um, starting rotation, right? They kept Quantrill, McKenzie, and Bieber on five days rest. Uh, They could have slipped a rookie pitcher in there to start the Minnesota series. But they kept those guys on five days rest. So now you're in a situation where you do have two rookies in a row. You had a chance to split up the rookies. Knowing that rookies don't go deep into games, knowing that you would have to use a lot of your bullpen probably for both of them, but they kept them together. So we'll see if that hurts them tonight, right? Obviously, uh, Eli Morgan, De Los Santos, Trevor Steffen, Henches, and Classe all pitch in this one. We've reached a point in the season where these guys aren't going three days in a row. So if we get into safe situations every night against the Angels, you know, Classe is going to have to. Uh, or Karen check is going to have to take some of those save opportunities for class A, right? You're just not going to be able to use them that much. Trevor Steffen threw 20 pitches. Is he going to be available tonight? So you could have split the rookies up a little bit, but instead we're going to have two rookies going in a row. Now it works last night. We get the win last night. Pilkington does go five innings, gives up only three hits, but four earned runs because of three walks because of two home runs. He only records three strikeouts on 85 pitches. He's hard hit one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine times, and specifically by the top of the order a lot. Um, Matt Duffy obviously gets a big uh, a big hit with his home run. Uh, Max Stassi with his double gets a hard hit ball off of him. But then the rest come from the top three in the order. Uh, Luis Renifo is it Renifo? Uh, Trout and Otani. Uh, you know, doing a lot of damage against Pilkington. The only other pitcher to give up a hard hit ball in the entire Guardians bullpen was Trevor Steffen gave up one uh, to somebody in the top of that lineup. So, yeah, uh, Pilkington does go five innings, but again, questioning management a little bit, should he have gone five innings? So, you know, I would love to jump into something and say it's the top storyline of this game, but I think to understand this game, you kind of have to go in order. Because you have to understand the manager's decisions in order here. So it starts off uh, in the first inning, actually. Pilkington does a good job of surviving two walks, right? He walks uh, uh, he walks Otani, 
right? He walks Taylor Ward, who did a number against us when we were out in L.A. earlier in the season, but then gets Duffy to fly out. So he survives two first-inning walks. You weren't sure about that. He gives up two hard-hit balls, then two walks, but a fly-out gets him out of it. So the Guardians come up in the second inning, and it is just a beautiful rally by the Guardians. And, of course, it starts with Oscar Gonzalez getting hit in the foot. Okay, uh, yeah, I would prefer a walk to kick off a rally, but all right, if you're going to hit a guy, it didn't look like it was that bad. Uh, so Oscar Gonzalez gets a free pass to first base the hard way. Uh, Owen Miller comes up and rips a single. After an Andres Jimenez force out, we got runners on the corner, and Tyler Freeman comes up in an RBI situation. I think they said on the radio this was his first hit with runners in scoring position. It's only 64.7 miles per hour exit velocity, but it's this nice kind of looping 11-degree launch angle liner that just had the right height to get over the infield and make it out into the outfield. So Freeman pokes one the other way and uh, drives in Oscar Gonzalez from third base. And then on the throw, Jimenez is hustling. He goes into third on the throw. Freeman's able to move up to second. And then Austin Hedges delivers a big RBI, two RBI double down in the left field corner. After a straw ground out, Stephen Kwan would shoot one the other way uh, for a single to drive in Austin Hedges. They have a chance to throw him out of the plate. Adele makes a strong throw. The catcher just can't come up with a short hop cleanly, and Hedges is able to get in there safe. Uh, it's one of those situations where you have the lead, you've got three runs, and yeah, you do have a little bit of freedom to push your luck there as the third base coach, right? If that had been the only, you know, the only RBI of the inning, uh, then you might question Sarbaugh's decision to send Hedges there against Adele, who has a ridiculously good arm. But with a 3-0 lead already in the inning, you can push it. And hey, somebody wins a free set of tires. I've been listening to those radio broadcasts for years, and I've never heard anybody win the truck or the set of tires or whatever else they give away for ridiculous things. Uh, so they finally score four runs in an inning, and so some lucky Northeast Ohioer is walking away with four free tires. I just thought that was funny. Of all the all the times I've listened, I've heard in the Grand Slam inning bases get loaded before, and then the guy grounds out, and you're like, "Come on, someone's got to win that truck eventually." Uh, well, someone finally wins the four free tires for four runs being scored in the second inning. So hats off to that person. Um, the thing about this rally now. Okay, so yeah, anyone could have just walked you through the rally. But what what was happening in this inning that the Guardians were able to rally like this? And going over to the illustrator here, well, frankly, he was just up in the strike zone this entire inning, basically giving them pitches at the letter, at the letters. Tyler Freeman, oh, oh sorry, with Owen Miller, his line drive hit with a four-seam fastball at the letters, a little bit in off the plate, but up at the letters, and he pulls it. Tyler Freeman got a slider at the top of the zone that he's able to poke the other way. Austin Hedges' pitch was down at the belt, but again, it was a slider, and I don't think it was supposed to be at the belt. It was breaking in, uh, and he does exactly what you're supposed to do with a slider breaking in from a left-handed pitcher like this. You got to turn and pull it. Uh, breaking in uh, at your hip, there's not you're not going to be able to go the opposite way. Tyler Freeman's was up. It was kind of a floating spinner up at the top of the zone. That you can poke the opposite way. It was a little bit more middle of the plate. Austin Hedges' was coming in at his hands, so he gets those hips open, and he pulls this thing down the left field line. So it's good hitting from Austin Hedges. This pitch is not at the top of the zone, 
but it's probably higher up than Detmers wanted to throw this thing. I don't think he wanted to leave it at the belt. I bet he probably wanted to put this thing down at the knees. Um, and then Quan gets one uh, up out over the plate. Uh, let's see, what pitch did Quan hit? Let's switch to the left-handed batters. I think it was a f- oh, it was a slider as well. Okay, so he does what you're supposed to do with a high outside slider. In fact, he takes two breaking balls in this game and shoots them into left field. I love when Stephen Quan does that. Go ahead, leave him in there against left-handed pitching because he is going to make them pay. They're going to throw a breaking ball that catches too much of the plate, and he's going to do exactly what he does here. This one, he hits 90.2. It's a pretty solid shot through the left side of the infield for that final RBI of the inning. So yeah, Detmer stuck up at the top of the zone in that inning. There'd be other innings where he'd be down, where he'd get the fastball down, the changeup and the slider down, but not this inning. Stuck at the top of the zone in this inning, and the Guardians make him pay for four runs. Now, so you got to know that the Guardians have a 4-0 lead to understand some of the decisions that were made in the 4th and 5th innings. So, yes, uh, he gives up a two-run home run in the 4th inning, uh, gives it up to Matt Duffy after a walk, after a Taylor Ward walk, he compounds the problem by giving up a home run to Duffy. And, all right, Duffy got him, got him for a two-run home run. It's a 4-2 lead after four innings. It's pretty good from Pilkington. I mean, that's pretty good. We would take that. Four innings with a 4-2 lead from Connor Pilkington, we would take that. I know you don't want to burn through your bullpen in the first half of a, uh, in the first game of a series, but this is a rookie out here. So they get pretty deep into the lineup the second time through in the fourth inning. Joe Adele grounds out to make the final out. Max Stassi kicks off the fifth inning by absolutely smashing a double, 105.9 mile per hour exit velocity over Oscar Gonzalez's head. Didn't love the route that Gonzalez took to get to this ball, kind of circled around to it. Uh, If he takes more of a straight line, eh, he probably doesn't have a chance at making a play on this ball, but it would have been a lot closer uh, if he takes a straight line to this ball as opposed to kind of curving underneath the ball. So Stassi with a double off the wall. He gets lucky because Velasquez pops up a bunt. Uh, So they record the first out. But this flips the lineup over. And now he's facing the top of the lineup that's been hitting the ball off him hard all day. He's facing the top of the lineup the third time through the order. Now we know that the more hitters see a starting pitcher, the better they are against him, right? That's just pretty much a law of baseball. Like... uh, I mean, unless you're a ace that's ridiculously locked in, the deeper you go against these guys, the more you show these guys you're pitching, the more these hitters start to figure some things out. So he gets Luis Renifo to ground out. I hope I'm saying that right. I'll pay attention tonight during the broadcast. A 97.3 mile per hour ground out. So another hard hit ball from the top of the lineup. That's two this inning, but he's got two outs. So Francona has a decision. Can he leave the left-handed rookie in there to face Trout, to face, you know, former MVP Mike Trout, who's already had some good at-bats for him, worked some long at-bats, seen a lot of pitches from uh, Pilkington. Does he leave him in there, or does he go to his bullpen? He's got a few weapons in his bullpen to face right-handed pitching. He could go with Eli Morgan, who he goes with eventually with the changeup, but Eli Morgan does give up some home runs, and uh, he could go with... uh, uh, 
the side armor, totally blanking on his name, Sandlin right now. He could go with Sandlin, the side armor, right? And face the right-handed hitting Trout. So he's got some options, but he leaves Pilkington in. Now, I will tell you, Pilkington, again, had two very long at-bats against Trout, threw him a lot of fastballs, showed him a ton of fastballs. First pitch fastball in both at-bats leading up to this one. Now, the other side of this storyline is Trout is on a home run streak. Six games in a row, he has hit a home run. So every at-bat with Trout up there, you are pushing your luck that he is going to hit another home run. This guy is the hottest hitter in baseball right now. But he stays with Pilkington. And what does Pilkington do? Does he throw him a first-pitch curveball? Maybe just to keep him off the fastball, keep him guessing a little bit, go with a changeup away maybe? No. First-pitch fastball. This one finds much more the plate than the other two at-bats. He throws it kind of down the middle at the thighs, and Trout makes him pay 106.7 mile per hour exit velocity, 26-degree launch angle, 422 to dead center field. So Pilkington ends up getting the no decision. I, I mean, I'm, was Francona just because it was his birthday? Was he leaving him in through five innings on so he could try to get a win on his birthday? Or was he trying to win a game and get his team into the playoffs? Like, ugh, God, I, I don't agree with the decision here to leave him in. So, uh, yeah, Trout hits the home run. Oh, he actually leaves him in to face Otani then. And he lines out at 107.9 miles per hour, but it's a line out. It ends the inning and it ends Pilkington's day. So that was a big decision. Now the Guardians are in a situation where, yes, and this is a situation that when playoff baseball comes around, they're probably going to find themselves in. Yes, they had that good first rally, a great first rally, four runs in one inning, beautiful stuff. But, you know, Minnesota kept coming back against us, right? They kept the pressure on. No matter what our lead was, they kept the pressure on. So we are going to have to dig down and find that second rally in this game, in the second half of the game, right? It's just, especially when we get to the playoffs, something tells me that first salvo just isn't going to be enough. We're going to have to dig down and find another rally within ourselves somewhere in this thing. And that's exactly what happens in the seventh inning. It happens quick, but it happens. Quan is able to get a leadoff single. Again, goes to the opposite way, just floats one into left field. Ahmed Rosario comes up with a runner at first base. It, you know, ground ball hitter, easy to turn a double play. Sometimes, though, you hit the ground ball in the perfect spot. And Ahmed Rosario shoots one over the third base bag that rolls all the way into the corner. Only 87.3 mile per hour exit velocity. Still a decent shot into the corner. And actually, the fact that it wasn't harder hit probably helped because it really did just bounce and trickle all the way down that left field line into the corner. And it allowed Quan, who was on his horse, he stumbles briefly coming around second base even, but he flies into home, beats the throw by a mile. He's already popping out of his slide by the time the throw gets to the catcher. And Ahmed Rosario delivers a huge he doesn't get many high leverage hits. This guy is not a guy that comes through in the clutch very often. He's usually better in the beginning of the game, early in the game, uh, or he's setting the table for somebody else. Uh, but he's able to come through here with a big high leverage RBI hit that drives in Quan and gives the Guardians a 5-4 to four lead. Now, they're not able to do anything else with this inning, uh, but uh, they're able to get it done here and... Uh, 
and uh, get the job done. Find that second rally, right? It doesn't have to be big, but just one more salvo, one more little rally was the difference in this one. Now, it helps that the bullpen was absolutely fantastic after Pilkington leaves the game. I mean, this bullpen throws up uh, four shutout innings. Uh, Eli Morgan comes in and gets two strikeouts. Uh, De Los Santos comes in and pitches a clean seventh with a strikeout on nine pitches, being very efficient. Trevor Steffen gets into a little trouble in the eighth inning. He does get two strikeouts, but he does get into a little bit of trouble in the eighth inning. He strikes out Trout, so he's facing the toughest part of the lineup, and he gets Trout. Otani rips a single off him at 100.2. He then strikes out Taylor Ward uh, before Matt Duffy comes up, and he hits a single off him. So now he's got two runners on, and it brings up Mike Ford. So he goes to the bullpen. He goes and gets um, he gets Sam Henches out of the bullpen to face the left-hander Ford. Uh, Ford being very aggressive in the first pitch of the at-bat. Swings at a pitch up and out of the strike zone, up and in, frankly, out of the strike zone, and he chases it for strike one. Just determined not to have to deal with Henches' breaking stuff, so he swings at a bad pitch for strike one. Uh, then, you know, Henches doesn't throw him a breaking ball. He sticks with this sinker, which he's been throwing more and more this season. It's actually his second most thrown pitch is the two-seam sinker. Throws one down at the knees this time that he takes for a called strike. And then throws one, doesn't go to the breaking ball. He could easily go to the slider or the curve here with two strikes. He could drop, a, you know, one of these breaking balls. But he goes with one more sinker, this one below the knees, and Ford swings over it. So he just gasses him on three 94-95 mile-per-hour sinkers in a row. Nasty stuff from Sam Henches coming out of the bullpen. By the way, those strikeouts for uh, Trevor Steffen, he gets Trout on a splitter in the zone. In the zone, after showing him some high fastballs, he comes back with three splitters in a row, misses away with two of them, but then comes back in the zone, and then to strike out Taylor Ward, yeah, you guessed it, another splitter. This one was a nasty one, down at the knees, uh, below the knees, below the bottom of the strike zone, gets Taylor Ward there. So, Stefan, yes, he was getting hit hard, uh, but he also had two nasty strikeouts in that eighth inning. So, Henches able to deliver. We're going to talk more about Sam Henches because, frankly, he deserves it. He deserves us to dig in on him a little bit more because he has become an absolute reliable weapon out of that bullpen. And then Classe comes in in the ninth inning. He gets Maniac to ground out. He gets Stassi to line out. And then against uh, Matt, what is that, Thice? I, I honestly don't know how to say a few of these names in the Angels lineup. Uh, I'm really going to have to pay attention to the broadcast tonight. Uh, he gets into a weird situation with him where, uh, maybe it's these, where he fouls one back off the catcher's mask. It's a one-two count, but it really, or off, sorry, off the umpire, off the home plate umpire's mask. It really rattles the guy. He he wants to stay in and finish the game because he knows Classe is probably going to finish it on the next pitch, but they do the right thing. They send him back to the locker room. Don't mess with concussions. Kids, if you're listening, don't mess with concussions. Uh, they're nasty stuff. They can have long-term effects. So he does the right thing, heads back to the locker room. They have to. It takes an eight-minute delay. They have to get catcher, you know, the gear on the other, uh, the other umpire, get him ready behind the plate. 
After a few warm-up pitches, after an eight-minute delay, we get back on the mound. He fouls off a few pitches before finally going down to the 100-mile-per-hour cutter down at the knees. Inside pitch, he can't handle it, the lefty. Man, that cutter is nasty to left-handers because you know they see that fastball and it just moves in on them at the last second and there's nothing they can do. It's coming in way too fast to adjust their swing path, uh, right? To adjust their swing plane. And he swings through it and Classe finishes things off. Man, there's something awesome about seeing Classe, you know, with the crowd pumped up at home in the red jersey. It just, it had a feel of playoff baseball last night. Now, it wasn't a big crowd. I mean... Look, it's a Monday night. Kids are back in school. It's a Monday night. It was a 6-10 start, which I loved. There were 12,000 in attendance last night. Don't hammer 12,400. Don't hammer the Clevelanders, the Northeast Ohioers, for not showing up to a Monday night game in September, right? Like, it is it is hard to make it to a baseball game these days. I'm sorry. It just is, especially on a Monday night. But they made it sound like it was a full house. There was one point where the the pitcher for the Angels literally had to switch out his pitch comm devices because he couldn't hear the darn thing. Now, maybe it was broken, but it still felt like the crowd was so loud. You know, in the NFL, when the crowd is so loud and the quarterback can't even hear himself, you know, they, they can't hear him making any calls, so he has to call a timeout because the crowd is so deafeningly loud. That's kind of what it felt like last night. That crowd really got up for that game. 12,000 sounded like 28,000. And uh, yeah, it was good stuff from the Cleveland crowd. And it was like that in the ninth inning for Class A. It had the feel of playoff baseball. So a huge win for the Guardians. A big save for Class A. Uh, De Los Santos actually ends up technically credited with the win. He was the pitcher of record when the Guardians take the lead in the bottom of the seventh. So he gets the win, holds for Stefan and Henches, and a save for Class A. And I believe they said league leading with 34 saves. Class A is now leading the league in that. So that's big stuff. Now, I told you we were going to talk about Sam Henches. We also got to talk about Mike Trout real quick because he's got a chance to tie the record books uh, tonight. And I, I, frankly, I, I kind of want to see him do it. I mean, and then he would have a chance to break the record on Wednesday. It would be fun to have him here in Cleveland when he does it. Um, as long as it doesn't affect the outcome of the game, like, let's get a 5 nothing lead and then let him hit a solo shot, right? Uh, keep pitching to him. Uh, so uh, he is now tied uh, for 7. The record is 8, and three guys share the record. Ken Griffey Jr. from the Mariners did it in 93. Don Mattingly with the Yankees did it in 87, and Dale Long was the first one to do it in 56. He has a really funny quote after the game. He goes, someday somebody will break it and they'll forget me. Well, frankly, I don't know much about Dale Long from the Pirates. Uh, I don't know the Pirates teams of the 50s that well, so I did feel a little bit like that hit home because I was like, I'm sorry, Dale Long, I did forget you. Uh, he says, uh, he told the Chicago Tribune in 86, it's there to be broken. They break them all the time. So uh, he knew his record. It hasn't actually been broken yet, though. It's been tied. It just hasn't been broken. So the prophecy of Dale Long lives on. Will Mike Trout do it? Uh, He's on seven in a row right now after taking Pilkington deep. The others with seven. I mean, this is a league company here. Votto did it in 2021. As a young man in 2021, he did it. Uh, Kendres Morales did it when he was with the Blue Jays in 2018. Uh, Kevin Mench, great guy, 
uh, did it in 2006 with the Rangers. Barry Bonds did it with the Giants in 2004 uh, when he was hitting a lot of home runs back then. And then Jim Tomey did it with the Indians in 20, in 2002. Listen to some of the names that Tomey took deep in this streak. He started the streak in Fenway Park. Uh, he took Pedro Martinez deep to start. Uh, the next day, he took Pedro deep for his second one in the streak. Then we had to face the defending world champion, D-backs. He took Kurt Schilling deep in that series. Then, with five under his belt, they head to the to New York. He has to face the Yankees. He takes Roger Clemens deep, then takes David Wells deep off in the Yankees. Finally, Mike Mussina puts an end to the streak. Uh, you know, he has a chance to tie the record, and Mucina is able to put him down. Uh, he does hit a deep fly ball in the center field in the seventh inning versus reliever Mike Stanton in his final at bat. But seven in a row from Jim Tomey, uh, for your Cleveland franchise. So, uh, pretty, pretty elite names. And obviously, Trout is elite, like, he belongs on that list one day. Uh, yeah, he's going to be enshrined alongside some of those guys in Cooperstown. So, uh, he's got a chance to tie the record today. Uh, it's fun stuff. It's fun for the game, so you kind of you kind of want to see it. Um, so the other thing uh, we talked, we said we're going to talk about Sam Henches. You wouldn't believe the improvement this guy has made on his 50 appearances now in his 25 year old season, a second season in the majors. The K rate, K, I mean, some of these numbers you're just going to see, like, he's just straight up better. I mean, the ERA has gone from 6.68. Remember, he was making some starts back then. In 2021, he made 12 starts uh, in 30 games. So, you know, some of the innings are going to be a little longer because he was starting. So the ERA drops from 6.68 in his rookie season to 2.65. I mean, the FIP falls from 4.48 to 2.61, and even the expected numbers have fallen dramatically. Uh, His Ks per nine are up from 8.91 to 10.27. This is big. His walks per nine are down from 4.19 to 2.82. Really good right there to get those walks under control. And then the biggest number here, I think, is his home runs per nine have fallen from from 1.31 to 0.5. Really, really not giving up the home runs this season. He gave up ten home runs last year. In uh, how many? Uh, I think total batters faced three hundred and eighteen. So two hundred and fifteen. So yeah, a hundred less batters faced. Again, it's uh, fourteen less innings. It was the, you know he was starting back then, so he faced more batters. Um, he's only given up three home runs though this season. That is huge. And almost has as many strikeouts, 68 strikeouts to 62 this season. So he's catching up on strikeouts with 100 less batters faced. But the home runs, I mean, that's a significant, significant difference, especially when he's pitching in high leverage situations, you know, deep into games. So it's really good stuff. Now, some other things have changed. We got to look at the batted ball numbers. And I'm over on fan graphs for these numbers. The ground ball to fly ball ratio, he's getting so many more ground balls. 1.3 1.3 ground ball to fly ball ratio last year, up to 2.67 this year. Line drives have come down 3% from 19 to 16%. Ground balls are up from 45.8% to 61.1% of the time he is getting ground balls. Fly balls are down from 35.2% to 22.9% of the time giving up fly balls. That is a significant difference. 
Uh, he's giving up less pulled contact. I mean, they were really pulling him hard last year and hammering him. 45.4% of the time they were pulling the ball. Uh, now it's down to 38.1. They're actually going to center field the most or up the middle the most at 40.3%. Uh, hard contact rate is down as well. 35.3% hard contact rate down to 29.9%. Uh, the medium contact up a little bit. So yeah, so that's some of the things that's the difference right now between Henches, between his rookie season and his second season. Uh, he is throwing the uh, fastball more. He is throwing the two-seamer. Let's jump over to uh, his StatCast page. My God, if you just look at the percentile rankings, I'm not going to read off all the numbers for you on the percentile rankings, but 2021, ice blue, all blue. 2022, all red, deep red. I mean, that shows you right there. This guy is having the tail of two different seasons. Um, the barrel percentage is down last year, 9.6% barrels down to 6% barrels this year. Really good. Again, the hard hit rate is down. Um, let's see what else do we got here? This, the uh, sinkers, I told you the sinkers are way up last year. He threw them to both, uh, mostly to right-handed pitching this year. He's throwing them mostly to left or more to left-handed pitching than right-handed pitching last year was almost all to right-handed pitching. So he threw it 9.2% of the time. He's up to throwing that two-seam sinker 24.6% of the time. He has really, really found that pitch. And he's throwing it harder, too. He's throwing it almost at 95.6 mile per hour. Last year, he was throwing it at 93. His fastball is harder. His four-seamer is at 95.7. Last year, was 94.6. So he's found more speed committing to being a bullpen guy. So I'm surprised. Not only is he throwing that sinker more, he's throwing it a ton to left-handed pitching. 118 times to lefties, 83 times to right-handed pitching. So yeah, his uh, and his pitches have all gotten significantly better. Now I was looking at spin rates and speeds, and they, they all seem to be about the same as far as spinning the ball. He is throwing a little harder uh, now that he's a full-time reliever. Uh, but the value, uh, the value on those pitches, I mean, the uh, four-seam fastball last year had a value of plus 14 run value. That is one of the worst pitches in baseball. This year, it is settled into a plus two, which is fine. Uh, they still have a 300 uh, batting average against that fastball, but the whiff rate is up significantly. Last year, it was a 10.9% whiff rate. It's up to a 22.8% whiff rate. Last year, it had a put-away rate of 7.7. It's up to 20.3. So, yes, they're still hitting 300 off of it. Yes, they've hit a bunch of singles off of it, a couple of doubles off of it, but he is putting guys away with that fastball much more efficiently than he did last year. Uh, and then his other pitches have negative run values. Uh, the sinker is at a negative 3 run value, the curveball is at negative 6, and the slider is at negative 2. So all three of his secondary pitches are very, very effective this year, where he was all positive numbers or zeros last year, and he's dropped the changeup from his repertoire this year, hasn't thrown it. So yeah, that is uh, that is good stuff. A lot has changed this season. I mean, uh, frankly, I could keep going if you really want me to, but the moral of the story is that everything he was doing last year, he is doing much, much better this year. So I've been saying for a long time that this guy could be Andrew Miller-esque coming out of the bullpen. And, you know, he he hasn't been that untouchable. 
He's done it in a slightly different way, but, I mean, he's been pretty untouchable. He's been pretty freaking good. Um, pretty darn good. So, yeah, it's good stuff from Sam Hentges. Uh, and, yeah, it's a good win for your Cleveland Guardians. Now, the one thing I haven't mentioned yet, and you're probably waiting for me to mention it, it's because it's the one thing that happened when I wasn't watching the game. Uh, I listened to a lot of this on the radio. We went for a run last night, got some exercise. So I got to spend some time listening to on the radio. Frankly, Hamilton still loses me sometimes. He just gets away from the game. He got into this whole tirade in the third inning with Pilkington out on the mound about how, you know, Pilkington came up here and everybody likes him. And the one thing he does is he keeps his mouth shut and he, uh, and he works hard. And instead of focusing on the working hard part, he was focusing on the keeping your mouth shut part, which just screams to me like just such an old man, you know, stuffy take, just this curmudgeon you know, old boys club, oh, you young guys don't talk, don't, don't even open your mouth. Like, we're in a different age now. I want him to talk. I want him to be vocal, but I want him to be asking questions, right? He should be connecting with these guys through talking. He doesn't have to just keep his mouth shut and work hard. I get the sentiment from Hamilton. I get what he's saying. You really got to emphasize the working hard part, not necessarily the keeping your mouth shut part. Kids, if you're listening, you don't have to just be silent if you're a rookie, if you're new, if you're the new kid in high school, right? If you're a freshman in high school, you don't have to keep your mouth shut. But there are positive ways to communicate with your teammates. Like, you should be engaging a little bit, asking questions, getting into baseball conversations. You don't just have to keep your mouth shut. So I hated that from Hamilton. I'm sorry. I got a dog on Hamilton a little bit. He makes a call better than anyone in baseball when he's actually paying attention to the game. But man, you get into the middle of a game. And no wonder Rosenhaus has to take the fourth and the fifth innings. Because you get into the middle of the game, and Hamilton just gets lost in his own thoughts. Um, and then the moment that I didn't get to watch because I jumped in the shower after the run was uh, Terry Francona and Nevin from the Angels getting thrown out of the game in one of the most ridiculous scenarios you will ever see. So they think that uh, Andres Jimenez was hit by a pitch. Uh, Francona comes out of the dugout to argue, uh, then wants to challenge it. They say he waited too long and can't challenge it. So then he just flips his lid and just goes berserk and i mean henches said after the game it fired him up or hedges said it fired him up after the game uh you know they they really get behind francona when he gets pissed off and uh you know they it really boosts this ball club it does exactly what it's supposed to do so he fires the team up they end up winning the game and uh yeah and then and then their pitcher wants to throw a warm-up pitch but the umpire won't let him so Nevin comes out of the Angels dugout and he gets thrown out of the game. So both managers get run from this game with nothing really happening on the field. Like, it's so bizarre. So bizarre that that whole scenario played out. And uh, you know what? Good on Francona for he had the better ejection. He won the ejection battle between the two managers and his team wins the game. Coincidence? I think not. Uh, so there you go. If you're going to get run from the game, you got to put on a show. You got to do it right. Uh, somebody tweeted out. I don't know if it was Bleacher Report or what, but they were like, count the F-bombs from Terry Francona because it was a uh, it was not a PG-rated tyrant, uh, that rant that he went on. Tyrate. There's the word I was looking for. 
Um, so yeah, so some fun stuff from the managers getting ejected from the game. Every now and then, I, you know, I can't even explain it to you, but it's it's better out than in. Sometimes you just got to get the emotions out, and sometimes you just got to get thrown out of a game. Sometimes you do. You just you whether you're protecting your players or what. Sometimes you got to go out there and let the umpires know your feelings. So that's all my thoughts on this one. It's a huge win. We now extend our league in the American League Central. Oh, MVP on the day. Whoa, hang on a second. Almost forgot MVP on the day. Um, man, there are there are some candidates. I mean, the fact that we turned this lineup over went bottom to top for a big uh, rally. Ahmed Rosario with the go-ahead hit. Uh, honest to God, I, I'm I'm going to give it to Sam Henches. I'm going to give it. That's why I did such a profile on him today. That was huge in the eighth inning. Coming in with two runners on and getting that strikeout, just blowing them away on three pitches, was a huge, huge moment in this game. In fact, you know they have that win probability line here. Um, Ahmed Rosario's hit is the biggest difference in that, but it does start to creep up a little bit towards the Angels after Duffy singles. Um, but then Mike Ford striking out. Uh, is another big jump down in the Guardians' favor. So I would say Ahmed Rosario probably moved this line the most with his RBI. But Hench's moment, I just felt like, man, the whole game kind of you know hinged on that at bat. And it coming out of the bullpen in a, in a higher leverage situation, I don't know how many times we've seen him in the eighth inning. We've seen him in the sixth, in the seventh. We've seen him piggyback off a starter and be really good. But coming in like that, so Class A, doesn't have to do a four four out save, right? Coming in so that Class A can just focus on the ninth inning. I thought it was for three pitches. I thought they were really big pitches. So Henches gets MVP on the day. All right, now the American League Central standings. In case you didn't check it in the newspaper this morning, they now have a three-game lead over the Chicago White Sox and a five-game lead over the Minnesota Twins. So big stuff going on in the American League Central for your Guardians. All right, that's all my thoughts on this one. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on Sam Henches. Let me know your thoughts on Francona getting tossed from the game. And what did it fire you up at home? Were you on the couch pumping your fist in excitement when Francona got tossed? We'll discuss it on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor, so if you go to anchor.fm forward slash Cleveland Baseball Mornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play them back on the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning.